0: gay culture really helped create the whole disco experience then the mainstream culture got involved and interested and it was just really perfect mix. this is the telecom electronic
1: beats podcast the podcast for music culture and the new now Hello, I am Lindy Delight, and you are listening to a brand new episode of our ongoing podcast series. It's an absolute pleasure to have here today, award-winning documentary and portrait photographer, Bill Bernstein. Bill has been researching and photographing the contemporary subculture of New York nightlife and nightclubs, such as Studio 54 and Paradise Garage, in the 70s and in the 80s, as well as photographing some of the most celebrated icons of our time. He has published several books, including Night Dancing, Paul McCartney, Disco, and his most recent, Last Dance. Hi, Bill, and welcome to the Electronic Beats podcast. I've really been looking forward to this interview. So let's take it back. I know you started your career at the Village Voice in the 70s, and at that time you were sent on an assignment to take pictures at an awards ceremony that took place at the legendary Studio 54. So tell me, how was it to gain access as a young photographer to the venue? Because we know it was so notorious for long queues and people being so desperate for their chance to get in. And what was your first experience like?
0: Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate that. It was really interesting because Studio 54 opened up the summer of 1977 and it sort of hit the ground running as a place that, uh, gained immediate notoriety for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, and I tried to get in there on several occasions, um, without my village voice press pass and I couldn't get in. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) So... When I was assigned to go that night, I was pretty excited because I wanted to get, you know, get in there and see what was going on. So I didn't really know what to expect. It had a reputation for being kind of a wild place, lots of celebrities, lots of drugs, lots mm-hmm. of, you know, open freedom of expression, open sexuality, that kind of thing. So you know, I wasn't really sure what to expect, but. So when I went in there, I was a little surprised because um, there were uh, it was full of people in tuxedos and evening gowns, okay. and there were like tables out, and it was very uh, formal okay. in a sense. There was there was a fashion show, and Lillian Carter, the president's mother, was being honored for work she had done in India. So there was sort of an Indian motif, okay. fashion wise food wise, all that. And when I walked in, she was sitting there with Andy Warhol. They were seated next to each other for dinner. So that was kind of the picture that I got for the village voice. The two of them sitting next to each other, these these two gray haired people from completely separate universes in life, talking to each other. And I still wonder what they were talking about.
1: Yeah. Were you starstruck at all?
0: No, no, okay. I really wasn't. Um, I've worked with a lot of celebrities, and when I'm shooting people, I'm very focused on my job, right? And getting the exposure right, and making sure the film yeah. is in the camera, <laughs> and my thumb isn't on the lens. Yeah, yeah. So I'm more concerned about things like that than than you know being starstruck. Okay.
1: So then, what happened? So you saw you saw Warhol, and then and you, you saw the ta- and the tables were all set there. What happened next?
0: Well. So there, were, there was also like a flock of paparazzi there. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I'd ever been in a situation as a photographer where I was in with 25, 30 other photographers all cramming to get the same shot. But I kind of stepped off to the side as a photojournalist and photographed the, the flock of paparazzi shooting the table. So that was one of the shots that I got that I really like. Anyway, so... The event lasted for several hours, and after it was over, basically everybody left. All the paparazzi left, the people in their tuxedos left, and I, uh, I decided I would hang out there and wait until the regular crowd came in. Right. They had to clean up the place and put the tables and chairs away, and I had run out of film because I only brought four or five rolls of film. And I had no film, so I asked one of the leaving photographers if I could buy some film off of him. and so he sold me some film. And so I went up to the balcony and hung out in the shadows mm-hmm. and waited for them to clean the place up and let the regular crowd in. And that was, I don't know, like an hour or so. Okay. Um, and so that's, you know, then I walked downstairs and I had my first night in that Crazy culture mm-hmm. that I found so fascinating, and decided to explore for the next couple of years.
1: So when you stayed, um, so I guess obviously you were the, the only photographer that did stay. So the club was totally fine with you staying back and being able to capture some of those moments.
0: Yeah, I guess so. I yeah. mean, nobody tried to kick me out. No. Um, I don't. It's almost like nobody really noticed me. Okay. In a sense, even though I had a camera and a flash, but no, I didn't get bothered at all. And I was there as the doors were open for the regular crowds. I saw the first people come in and I think I was probably there till four or five in the morning because I was so taken by the visuals that I was seeing and the experience that I was having there. I didn't know what to expect. And I was really surprised.
1: Incredible. So you were documenting New York subculture at places, like we mentioned, Studio 54, but also Better Days and Paradise Garage, and this time can only be described as revolutionary. What impact do you think your work had on people at that time? And also, how did it impact you?
0: Well, yeah, it was a pretty amazing time. It was between Stonewall, which was in the late 60s, uh, the Stonewall Stonewall riots, I guess you would call them, in Greenwich Village, which basically was the beginning of gay liberation. And it was between that and the AIDS epidemic, which was in the early 80s. And both of them were very impactful in their own different ways on the culture. Mm -hmm. And so it was really a magical bubble of time, like from 77 to late 79, in New York City, probably in the world, too, for that matter, but certainly in New York City. Um, New York City's always been like, you know, the melting pot. It's always been like the cultural mixing place, people all over the world, marginalized cultures, you know, all different sorts of people from all over the world, all different walks of life. So it's always been that, you know, since day one. And it was also a city that was very much... In trouble financially, it was in default. Actually, the city was like was ready to to go bankrupt, and so rents were really cheap, which attracted people from all over the world, artists, to you know the great city of New York, um, where you could get an apartment really cheap. So it was really one of the most creative times in New York City in terms of you know the arts, like dance, theater sculpture, painting, photography, all of the arts were so were at, at its peak, I would say. And, you know, it's not, this is a lot of stuff that I have read over the years about New York City in this particular time period. You know, having gone through it as a photographer, it was just New York to me. You know, right. I didn't really put it all together like, wow, I'm living through this amazing <laughs> time. Yeah. It was just like, that's that's what it really was, you know? So I lived in an apartment in Soho, New York, downtown, which is now, you know, like the world's largest shopping mall for the world. But at that time, it was a really kind of cool place for artists. And I had an apartment down there for one hundred and twenty dollars a month. Oh, wow. So, you know, that lasted, and it was rent, (laughs) rent stabilized and all that. So I was one of those people that could live in New York City at that time and do my artwork. So, you know, Studio 54 opened in 77, along with um, Saturday Night Fever uh, that hit the, you know, hit the screens in 77. So that drew attention to the whole disco scene. It brought it into the mainstream conversation. And then Studio 54 opened up in 77 in the summer. And that was a sensation. So disco was almost like a fad Yeah. that, you know, like the hula hoop. or the yo-yo, I guess, you know. (laughs) It just, like, hit the the mainstream culture like a tidal wave. So I just fell into it as a photographer, and I just thought, wow, this is so interesting to see a transgender man or woman from wherever, Puerto Rico or whatever, dancing next to a straight Wall Street stock guy on the dance floor, or certainly the the gay culture of that time, you can't overestimate the influence of the gay culture.
1: Absolutely not. Uh, yeah.
0: On disco. I mean, from uh, The Loft, you know, David Mancuso in, in the 70s, Ice Palace and Fire Island, the gay culture really helped create the whole disco experience, mm-hmm. I would say. So, you, you know, that in itself was very important. And then the mainstream culture got involved and interested. And it was this really perfect mix, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. You know?
1: And how important do you think your photography was for the image of the clubs at that time and their public relations?
0: My photography wasn't really that important at that time. No.
1: happened <laughs> <kinda laughs> later
0: uh, on. The, <laughs> yeah, it definitely <laughs> happened later on. Because yeah. I chose... The photography that was important during that time were the paparazzis, okay. were the press photographers, the people who were working for page six in the post and the news and people who were taking pictures of celebrities at these clubs and getting the pictures in the paper the next day. Okay. Those people were the most important. Um, right. They were drawing people to the clubs. They were creating the illusion. They were creating the whole mystique about the scene, Yeah, you know? Yeah. I decided very early on, in fact, that night when I was sitting in the shadows at Studio 54 in the balcony, mm-hmm. we to go downstairs, that night I made a decision that I was not going to photograph the celebrities, you know, that I was going to do something different. Yeah. I was going to photograph, who are these people? Mm-hmm. Who is this couple over here, man and a woman dressed in tuxedos that look like they're straight out of the movie Cabaret? Mm-hmm. From you know the Weimar Republic in Berlin in you know 1930, who are they? Yeah. What, what's up with yeah. them? What's their story? You know, and what's up with what's up with this? Um, you know, there was a uh, famous at the time what they called in those days was a transvestite. Mm-hmm. That's a word that really don't use anymore. It was a trans woman named Potasa, and she was very famous at that time. She was Andy Warhol's muse, um, Salvador Dali, and you know what's up? What's up with this? I'd never really been around the trans culture before, so there were a lot of um, there were a lot of things going on that I was very curious about, and I kind of had in my mind like uh, Braque in Paris in the 30s, you know, studying the underground culture of that time and recording it, you know, for all to see out of just pure interest in it as an anthropologist with the camera.
1: So uh, Donna Summer once answered the question of how she herself felt about the studio and that great disco era. And she said, it, this, it was just work, nothing else. She had no real view of all the glamour and fascination that it radiates today. Was this similar for you?
0: huh no. It, well, you know, for Donna Summer, it, it might have been work. Yeah. Um, She was working hard and producing some amazing work. And I don't know what was going on in Donna Summer's life at the time, but for me, I was thrilled by it. Um, I was excited. I was curious. I was, it was, for me, it was a personal project, photographic project that I had found. And I really had started shooting professionally only a couple of years before that. Previous to that, I was involved in other graphics areas not as a photographer, but I, I always was interested in photography, but at at a certain point I decided to go and become a photographer and, and I started working for the village voice. So for me finding disco and finding this night scene was a gift to me. It was, I was fascinated by it. And there were so many clubs in New York city at that time that it was kind of a never ending stream of places to go to photograph right all different types of clubs mm-hmm. too you know from roller disco to punk discos to a place called Gigi's barnum room okay. which you know was a trans men and women's club you know, it was, it was just a, it was all there in front of
1: right. me and so. were you always open minded or were you surprised how open minded you were when when your life opened up to more, to, to some of these, to some of these scenes?
0: I was always open-minded. I was always looking for things that were new experiences. I was always looking for things that were happening that were new. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, right now, if I wasn't the age I am, and also I'm a little afraid, I would love to be in the Ukraine. Okay. Okay and photograph what's going on there because I think it's so important. Absolutely.
1: So now I'd like to talk a bit about the Paradise Garage and Larry Levan, as this was really such an important time and basically the birth of our like nightlife culture. And also, actually, the concept of superstar DJs. At that time, did you see yourself as an outsider mm. documenting like the place and the moment and the people? Or did you feel like you were a part of it?
0: That's a good question. A little bit of both. I would say that The lifestyle that these people were living was different than my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I wasn't that into drugs or drinking. I wasn't that into going out all night long Mm -hmm. and partying, but I appreciated it. I appreciated what they were doing. And maybe in some ways, you know, I kind of wish my life was more like that. (laughs) You know, I really got a high off of their high, I would say. Because when you walked into a place like Paradise Garage, there was a high walking in there between the sound system and the music that vibrated through the floor, through your feet, into your body, and the smell of poppers in the room <laughs> and marijuana. I mean, you walked in there and within a few minutes, you were really, I was really high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think in my core, I was pretty much I thought of myself as a photographer slash artist slash journalist uh reporter. Okay. You know, and I was there to record what I was seeing.
1: Yeah, thanks for sharing that experience. Yeah. I can visualize that for sure. <laughs> so you said you don't really you didn't really drink or you didn't do drugs, but you certainly didn't photograph all night. So what did you do like in between shots?
0: I looked for other shots. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sometimes I would go to a a place like paradise garage for an hour and do some shootings, feel it out, shoot. And then I would leave and I would go to the mud club, which was almost walking distance from there and hang out there for a little while. And then I would leave there. You know, if there was a scene there that I was really interested in, I would, I would stay. If not, I would go off to another place, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe a place I'd never been before. I wasn't necessarily hanging out all night long in these places. You know, I was po- kind of popping in from time to time. Yeah. Did
1: you like to dance at all?
0: Yeah. I love to dance. What, was, yeah. what were
1: some of your favorite songs yeah. to dance to at that time?
0: Oh, you're asking me a music question now, I know. Now, that, aren't was you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, that
0: was the, the only question. one. Okay. Here's <laughs> the music question. All right. Yeah. Oh you, boy. You like to throw death. it at me. <laughs> All right. Okay. I have very I have very like, you know, there's people who are really into the deep cuts yeah. Yeah. You know, of 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 an artist. I'm not into the deep mm-hmm. cuts. I don't I wouldn't say. My favorite song, believe it or not, is uh Don't Stop Stop Till You Get Enough by Michael Jackson, okay? I can't not move when I hear that song, okay? I know I'm an old fogey with old man taste, but you know, that's how I feel. Uh, that's what I like. But I also like, um, I like a good song. I like a lot of rhythm. I like disco music, but I really think I like house music much more. Okay. In general. Um, I like, I really like when they stripped down, they took out the horns and the violins and, and all that. And at they the just beats. stripped it down to the more, the yeah. beat and the tribalness yeah. of it. You know, that's one thing that really appealed to me at the, in discos was, The tribal equality. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And I think that is something very, very basic within us as human beings that wanting to gather together in a group and, and, and move to a drumbeat, yeah. you know, in a very tribal way, you know? So as much as I like some of the disco stuff, the song Last Dance, Mm -hmm. I love that song and I named my, my book after it. (laughs) Um, I love that song. I think it's great. I love Donna Summer, yeah. um, Gloria Gaynor. Um, you know, yeah, you know, groups like the Commodores, um, Earth Wind and Fire. Mm-hmm. I love, um, Motown. Yeah, I really love the the tribalness. Perfect. Of of some of the stuff that I heard. Perfect. Yeah. Yes.
1: Don't worry. that was the only one. That was the only one. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah.
0: I told you I'm not a I music I know. I know. I was curious.
1: All. I was curious about if you danced <laughs> and at the time if there were songs you liked to dance yeah. to. But oh, um, I definitely like yeah. to dance.
0: I love to dance. <laughs> yeah. Cool.
1: yeah. Um. Yeah. Richard Avedon once said in an interview that he never felt like there was a single photograph that said everything, or even half about what he knew about his subject. You get to capture a certain moment, but when you have a lifetime of photographs, it's a different story. How do you feel about your work and the importance of it now, as these images are really what keep people fascinated about that era, like four to five decades yeah. later?
0: It's interesting to me because I've, I've been at book fairs and you know book signing events, And I find a lot of younger people, you know, in their twenties, they'll look at my work and they'll just be fascinated by it. And they'll go, wow, I wish I was alive back then. I wish I was there. I would love to go to the mud club. I'd love to go to paradise garage. And that means that really means a lot to me. I mean, it really means, I mean, I lived through it and I photographed it and I've lived with this material for years and years. So, you know, it's just part of me, part of my life. But to find somebody who's so fascinated by it and really can connect to it feels great. It feels really great.
1: So when you put in the context of today, um, taking photos is strictly forbidden in many of the modern nightclubs. But back then, if you had a camera, you were usually a professional photographer, whereas nowadays everyone seems to have a camera. How do you think people's attitudes towards
0: cameras have changed since you started your career? I think everybody's a photographer now.
1: How do you feel about that?
0: You know, I think. Well, I'm glad because I love photography, and I think that capturing a moment in time forever is a, is a brilliant thing. You know, look, I look at pictures of my, of myself. I look at pictures of my, my son, who's 18 now, and I look at him when he was like three. I look at my parents. I, I even love old pictures of London, Germany, um, New York from like the turn of the century. 19th century or 20th century rather I love it it's you know I, I love going back in time I love I love being able to capture something so photography to me is a brilliant art form the fact that everybody's taking pictures that's fine but you know there's as a as an artist you know there's a great picture that really says a lot and really digs deep and reaches you on a very deep level that's a photograph that I'm I love and study and then there's photographs that are kind of snapshots that a lot of people are doing these days and I guess calling it photography so I guess I'm a little cynical about some of the stuff that is called photography these days and also when I was doing it back then in clubs it was a lot harder Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, because I was shooting film I didn't get to see what it looked like after I shot it and say uh oh you know I have the wrong exposure or you know the the lighting looks bad. You know, I had to wait until the next day after I developed all the film and made the contact sheet yeah. to go. Oh shit, I fucked mm-hmm. up. <laughs> Can we say that on the radio, or we'll, beep we'll it. see.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll
0: see. We'll uh, see. You know, so it was harder. You know, I was shooting basically in strobe light, mm-hmm. so half the time the room is completely Dark, black, yeah. and you know, and there was a smoke machine, and I was shooting with a flash, and any photographer knows that's a disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was shooting a lot, hoping, keeping my fingers crossed that I got something.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, you know, yeah. did a pretty tight edit yeah. on the contact yeah. sheet, you know. <laughs> One of the things about my book is that I put a couple of contact sheets in there. And I decided to do that because I really think that even though a lot of shots on the contact sheet are not really very good, and I don't really want people to see them, but I think that it gives you an idea of what the scene was so that there was involved in at that moment in time. You know, it's like, I don't know, half an hour, 20 minutes of time frame of me working. And you can kind of see what I was seeing and dealing with.
1: Do you have a concept in mind when you're shooting your photos? And what's that process that brings it from your camera to the contact sheet, to a photo collection, and then into a book?
0: Yeah, I do kind of have a concept in mind. When I was shooting the club culture back then, after I started getting into it, I started to feel like this was a kind of um, historic moment. And I was very, it was very reminiscent to me of that Weimar Republic era from the 30s in Berlin, mm-hmm. where you had that underground culture of kind of gender benders mixed in with high society people, mixed in with, you know, all different kinds of cultures were mixing and kind of underground, you know. Anyone who's seen the movie Cabaret or, you know, kind of read anything about that time period Mm. knows what I'm talking about. You know, that was my influence. I guess that was my muse. That couple actually was probably my muse through the whole experience. Mm -hmm. It was my, you know, sort of, um, it was the reason that I was out there photographing was because I was, uh, I was captured by that image so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I wanted to explore that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, everywhere I went, I saw that in different, different forms, you know? So that was my muse. That was my reason to go out and shoot, to capture that underground feeling of what was going on. Mm -hmm. And what makes it to the final book is really just having that in mind and wanting to express that and wanting, like with this book, Last Dance that I just did, you know, I wanted to, um, I wanted to sort of show people who are into the club culture today at places like um, events like Glitterbox okay. in Ibiza and around the world and clubs in, in Germany that are really amazing and, and, and hot and all that. You know, I wanted to show those people, hey, you guys are really doing something amazing here and maybe this is kind of where it came from. You know, maybe you can see a relationship between the late 70s in New York City and where you're at right now in your head Mm -hmm. and what you're doing, you know, at these clubs, you know. So I really I tailored my edit to really try to put in as many pictures that related to today's scene as I could. Incredible, incredible.
1: Yeah. So, what what kind of cameras did you use back then, and which do you use now? And are there specific films that you use or still use when shooting analog photos, as they played a big role back then? You know, Kodak and Ilford, etc. There are many different. Yeah, they're all really different with the grains, etc.
0: The main camera that I used back then was a Canon. It was called. A, it's an F one Canon film camera. Of course, it was way before digital, and I used a Vivitar. think it was a 270 something or other Mm -hmm. it was a pretty standard rig that i was using and the film i was using was tri x film because that was pretty much the film to use Mm -hmm. back then it was the highest asa or iso as it's called today uh 400 sometimes i'd push it to 800 but generally i i would shoot it 400 it was kind of like i was working at the village voice a lot so they were a black and white newspaper. And I also kind of, you know, my, I, I sort of kind, kind of feel like I'm a student of Brassai, a student of Diane Arbus, a student of, um, you know, Richard Avedon, of course. And I love the black and white look mm-hmm. versus the color look. Yeah. You know, it, it takes you to another level, absolutely. you know, absolutely. So I, I really, um, liked working with that. Plus I could do it myself. I had a dark room in my apartment, you know, I could do it all myself, go to prints mm-hmm. myself and, and all that. So that was, that was the film. That was the, and I got used to shooting with that film. You kind of know what it does. Yeah.
1: So you still use this and,
0: today. And, um, I don't really shoot that much film today. Okay. Yeah. I don't really miss it that much, honestly. Okay. Um, yeah, I feel like digital is. I don't miss the dark room. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I spent so many hours and days and nights in the dark I had room, enough. room, and then pour, <laughs> I had enough. The smell of yeah. developer on my hands and fixer, and pouring it in the sink when I was done, okay. and knowing that it was destroying the environment. You know, all these things. I mean, I I like printing, and it was interesting, but. God, digital is just pretty amazing in terms of creating the final image, you know, as perfectly as you can.
1: And and so how do you see digital photography today? And do you ever use an iPhone? But I don't want to discount Android phones Mm. either because I have a Huawei phone with three Leica lenses and I absolutely love it. But do you ever use an iPhone or smartphones for photography?
0: I do. Actually, I do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I actually love it. I have some pictures on my website. With that, I do with my iPhone. It's great for like shooting in the subway. It's great for like, you know, something comes up completely out of the ordinary and you can just take a picture of it. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? Yeah, I like it a lot.
1: So tell me, when you're taking photos, like what do you look for at that moment when you click the camera? And is the methodology different for portrait and documentary photographs?
0: I think so. With portrait photography, you know, I get much more involved with my subject. I, Almost like put the camera down for a while. I talk to them. I try to make a con- you know a connection with them, emotional connection, and try to feel where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. If that I don't know if everyone knows what that means, but I also do a lot of research mm-hmm. when I'm shooting people. Like who are they? What have they done? What are they interested in? Okay. What's their background like? So I come to a session usually pretty prepared. And then when I'm with the person, I try to go a little bit deeper and get, you know, the more of a one-on-one kind of connection. So, you know, I will shoot them for a while, then I'll put the camera down and talk to them some more, maybe move so, somewhere else. And things also, like I'll go into a portrait shoot with a preconceived idea and kind of work from that. And then that usually leads to something else, which leads to something else, which leads to something else. So... You know, if it's a good session, Mm -hmm. that happens, you know, uh, it doesn't always happen, (laughs) but if it's a good session, it does with, with like shooting in discos or doing uh, street photography, it's really like an impulsive thing in the moment Mm -hmm. where you see something and you just like, Oh, that's interesting. You know, and how am I, and all the process of how I'm going to shoot it, how I'm going to frame it, what lens I'm going to use, how I'm going to light it. That's instantaneous in a in a sense. It's really like, how am I going to frame this? So am I going to put this person way over in the bottom right corner of the of the frame? Or are they going to be in the center or what, and what am I going to include in the background? Mm-hmm. You know, those are all, to me, really interesting choices that can make or break a photograph. Absolutely. You know, I think those things come with time. For me as a photographer it's years and years and years of looking at other people's work and saying why do i like that picture so much wow that's an interesting placement of this or that you know and making a mental note of it you know so it's years of doing that it's years of taking pictures that don't work and saying wow i wish i had done this you know so you're constantly correcting yourself you're constantly like trying to improve yourself
1: I guess this is where, you know, edi- editing digital photos, it really helps because you're able to kind of control and find, and find where, and be able to basically place and place the picture as you, as you would want it.
0: No, I think, no? you know, I don't vary too much from when I shoot the picture, when I go digital. Okay.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: yeah, I don't really, I don't really do too much, you know, people, a lot of people are compositing their pictures, yeah. they're moving things in and out. Yeah. I don't do that. I don't. I don't have a problem with mm-hmm. it, um, but I don't really do it, you yeah. know, um, I will take the picture that I shot and I will, I will enhance it. I, basically what I'm doing on the computer is I'm dodging and burning right. like I did in the darkroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and if there's some little thing that I can fix that isn't really that significant, I will yeah. take it out or you know do something, but I'm not doing too much heavy manipulation yes. with any of my pictures. Yeah. Amazing.
1: Um, it would be really interesting to approach and approach and exhibit your pictures from the past with current photographs from clubs, if they exist at all. Would you, would one recognize the parallels there?
0: I think you would. Um, interestingly, um, I had an exhibit in New York City at a place called the Museum of Sex, mm-hmm. and they took a room and they turned it into like a disco. Uh, They had a disco ball, they had a gigantic speaker, they had a disco booth, they had a bar, and they took about 30 or so of my images um, and blew them up huge. Mm -hmm. And it was an exhibit of the images. But then they decided on the weekends to have disco parties. Mm -hmm. So um, I would go occasionally to see what they were like. And I was really uh, happy to see that the crowd... That was attracted to the exhibit and to those disco parties. Really embodied what I was shooting back then. Mm -hmm. There were, you know, there were all kinds of non-binary, gender-fluid guys in dresses with beards. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of them were students from local New York City um, schools. Curiosity seekers, I guess. You know, young. It was a young crowd. And it, they were very drawn to it. And so I must say for a moment there, sometimes I would say, wow, I kind of feel like I'm back there. Yeah. You know, the energy in this room is very similar to that.
1: Yeah, you mentioned glitter box already, but are there other promoters mm-hmm. or any events that you also feel capture that essence of the nightlife from the 70s and 80s?
0: There's a club in New York called the House of Yes mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. Uh, there's another place called $3 Bill. Mm-hmm. I've been to both of those clubs and I've actually shot at, at both of those clubs. I'm, sh- I'm basically setting up a, a portrait studio in the basement of one of those clubs and bringing people down and doing portraits of them. Oh, I love, I love that. It's what? a current current project that I'm oh, doing. Fantastic. And I think that they, you know, they're close. Mm-hmm. It's different because the world was different back then. You know, the, the city was different. The headset in general was mm-hmm. different. It was before the iPhone, you know, it was before all that technology. The world is different today than it was back then, you know? So it's very hard to actually recreate the experience.
1: It's all these unique moments. Yes. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of opinion about uh, the club called Bergheim in Berlin and that it stands for Club Culture in the 2000s. Photos of the club have never been leaked and it's created kind of a myth or a mystery that is virtually the opposite of your work which documents that mystery and myth would you be interested in taking photos of Burkheim, for example provided that you would be given permission
0: yeah yeah
1: <laughs> simple
0: yeah i was yeah, yeah. that's the yeah. answer yeah i would be i don't like the idea of intruding on people's privacy mm-hmm. in general yeah. and i i know about that club i heard a lot about it it sounds amazing it is. i was i was in berlin a few years ago, I had an exhibit in uh, in East Berlin, and I I didn't make it there because I wasn't there long enough. Um, I also wasn't sure if I could get in or not because I don't really know anybody there. Well, now you do. Um,
1: <laughs> I le- <but>
0: now, <laughs> now I do. You do. Okay, <laughs> let me know when you yeah.
1: Here next well, time. <laughs> next time I
0: I definitely <laughs> yes. will. No, it'd be very interesting. Yeah. I think yeah. I mean, I've heard about it, and I would definitely be interested because I'm still interested in all things cultural. Mm-hmm. All things, you know, that are happening that are kind of out of the mainstream, you know, yeah, I would definitely do it. I'll definitely call it. Yeah,
1: you. perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and do you have like a favorite image and, and or um, who has been your favorite subject?
0: Hmm. I mean, I have a couple of images from that period that I think are really interesting to me. There's a, a woman at, Gigi's Barnum room named Ava. And she was, you know, a pre op transgender from Puerto Rico. And she was there like every time I went to Gigi's Barnum room. And so we, we sort of after a while started talking to each other. And I started to learn a little bit about her. And she was this very soft spoken, sweet, transgender, pre-op transgender, you know, Mm -hmm. who was saving up for her operation at that time. And she told me about how she was friends with Salvador Dali. And he would, um, when he came to town, he would invite her out with his friends. And sometimes she would hook up with one of his male friends. And the male friend would find out that this beautiful woman had a male genital And to Dolly, that was a surrealistic joke that was he thought that was kind of interesting. And I thought that was mm, a little cruel, maybe. But she was very sweet and she thought it was fine. And, you know, I'd never really been exposed to that culture before, the trans culture. So just being around it was really interesting to me. And seeing how these people I think it's very brave, especially back then. Definitely you know, in the Mm seventies, you know, um, it is today too, you know, very, very dangerous.
1: Yeah. And that's what, that's what makes nightlife in some of these nightclubs so important because it's always been like a safe space for people to come to and know that no matter what's happening in their lives on the outside, that they can come and they can go somewhere where they can completely be themselves, be accepted and just be able to express themselves.
0: That's really key. That's really important. That's one of the things I saw back then that was very interesting to me, Yeah, you know, and I, and that was at Studio 54. That was pretty much at all the clubs, Yeah, I would say. Yeah,
1: And so was there, is there a favorite image of yours?
0: Oh, um, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, there was a couple of shots. There was a shot of Ava, um, at a table and her leg is up on this guy's. Uh, shoulder and he's kissing her ankle and she's just kind of posing for me, you know, and to me, I like that shot a lot because I knew her and, you know, and um, it represented a lot of different things to me. It represented the pose of, you know, um, of that time, how people would pose. There was a voguing kind of posing sort of thing going on. There was just a mix of, you know, the guy and and her. There was the environment. Gigi's Barnum Room was like, it was an interesting club. You know, it was a little run down in a lot of ways, but it was just perfect for for its time. You know, there's also a, a, a crowd of people on the dance floor. I'm sorry, they're not, they're sitting on a couch, kind of talking to each other, like five people that also is, kind of like the clique that would show up at different clubs and hang out and pose and talk and get up and all dance together and some of them were gay some of them were straight you know there was like the queen bee woman surrounded by her little posse Mm -hmm. you know and it just like represented that to me you know they were all like really high fashiony you know and You know, I like that, too. It represents, you know, that era. Absolutely.
1: And talking about, like, the next generation of photographers, are there any photographers that you're admiring? Or are there younger photographers that reach out to you for, like, mentorship at all? How do you support, like, the next generation of photographers?
0: I have a few young photographers that that I stay in touch with and correspond with. And they send me their work and I give them my feedback. And I love that. I love that. Um, you know, one young photographer, you know, I really um, I really helped him hone in on his vision, which I feel really good about. You know, he was he presented me with some work and it was really good. He had a really good eye, but he was just doing a couple of things that weren't really getting getting like the point across. So I mentioned a few things to him and he ran with it, you know. Uh, but there's also other people out there. There's somebody on my Instagram called Flashback. Flashbulb Floozy, I think, is her name. And she's out in L.A. And she's shooting a lot of burlesque kinds of things. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff that looks sort of like the House of Yes in New York. Okay. And she, I think she just published a book. And I, I, I follow her. I follow a lot of people who are young photographers doing work today. And I, I think it's great. I think it's great. It gives me a chance to really connect with other people. The scene is different today. The events are different. Mm-hmm. It's much more focused on the DJ in many cases. Definitely. Yeah. You yeah. know? It's very different. Back then it wasn't focused on the DJ at all. The DJ was up in this air somewhere <laughs> off to the side. You didn't really see him. It was really you were there to party yeah. and so you were mixing with the person next to you. You were some nights I would watch people dance all the way around the dance floor. Uh-huh. You know, go from one partner to the next to the next yeah. and then back to where they started from. You know? It was very much about interacting with the with the crowd. Mm. You know. Yeah. And I don't see that so much in a lot of places today. No,
1: me either. And, and I hope at some point we're able to get back to this because I do feel that, you know, that people have this kind of DJ worship culture kind of now. Yeah. Where where you're kind yeah. of losing the connection between the people and I really hope, yeah, I really hope someday that we're able to get back to this point where it's not so much of a focal point. So thank you so much for uh, being with us today on the Electronic Beats podcast. Um, I really hope to meet you again soon. And yes, thank you.
0: Okay, thank you.
1: Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you like, there are many other Electronic Beats podcast episodes you can find on all the usual podcast platforms. We'd be happy for you to check them out and subscribe or leave us some feedback on our social media channels. See you next time.